0: In the 19th chapter of Acts, in verse 2, these words are recorded. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost? I'm going to stop there because that's the title of my sermon today. Have you received the Holy Ghost? These seven verses relate to us Paul's mission to the Ephesians, finding there a group of men and other people who had obviously been converted, but he detected something about them that made him to know they needed additional encouragement to seek the Lord. When I was a child, I heard a lot about the Holy Ghost, and I heard people talk in tongues, And I saw people shout, and I saw people have physical manifestations, but I didn't hear any teaching on the Holy Ghost. I don't recall. Maybe I just wasn't listening, but I don't recall hearing a sermon that I would consider an expository sermon on the baptism of the Holy Ghost when I was a child, although I saw many people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I witnessed that. And I certainly give credit to the fact that the experience was real to their lives and I have no problem with that. It was not a substitute, it was the real thing. But I did feel that people should be taught. They needed to know what the Bible has to say about the Holy Ghost and what the Bible has to say about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her class and she was using the students to participate so that they would remember this better. And every Sunday, they would recite the Apostles' Creed. And a certain segment of it had been assigned to a pupil and they knew when they were next and they would recite their part of the Apostles' Creed. John has said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Mike said, and Jesus Christ, His only Son. Silence. Finally, a little boy piped up and said, Teacher, the boy who believes in the Holy Ghost is absent. (laughs) I feel that way about churches that do not preach about the Holy Ghost. I believe I would be remiss. I believe I'd fail God. I could not preach the whole gospel. I could not preach the whole Word of God without preaching about the Holy Ghost. I believe God has charged me with this responsibility. Jesus talked about the Holy Ghost. And I believe we're commanded to go forth with a message that will help people to understand the ministry of the Spirit in our church. First of all, the Holy Ghost is a divine person. He is a person. He's not merely an influence, as some teach, but he's a divine person. Yes, we do believe in a trinity of beings in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. I don't think you should blink twice at believing, saying and testifying, preaching, teaching that fact because it is the gospel truth. God is manifest in three persons. Jesus promised us in John chapter 14 and verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter. The word another means one like the first. I've often used the illustration, if I gave you a dollar bill and promised you that I would give you another dollar bill tomorrow, you would not expect a nickel tomorrow. You would not expect a substitute. You would not expect even a $5 bill. You would expect another like the one that I gave you today. Jesus said, I'm going back to my Father. But when I get there, my Father and I will send you another comforter, meaning one like the first comforter. What kind of comforter was the first one? He was divine. Jesus was divine. Divine, he was the Son of God. We believe and accept the deity of Christ with all of our heart. We believe that Jesus was the divine Son of God. And he said, I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter when I'm gone away. Meaning that he too will be divine, he too will be God, he too will have the supernatural ability to. able you and to assist you do the, to do the things I want you to do. Another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. You see the personal pronouns in John Chapter 14, verse 16, referring to the another comforter. Here they are, that he may abide, not that it may abide. You know, the Holy Ghost is not a thing. He's a person. That he may abide, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. There is no doubt the Bible clearly reveals that the Holy Ghost is a divine person. We must honor Him. We must respect Him. We must yield to Him the same way we want to yield to the Father, the same way we want to yield to the Son. We must also yield to the Holy Ghost. For He guides us. He reproves us. He corrects us and teaches us all things, reveals to us even things to come thus it is important that we yield to him the same way that we are to yield to the father and respect and reverence him as god in the 26th verse of john chapter 14 jesus said but the comforter which is the holy ghost mary baker Eddy, with christian science claimed to be the comforter i stumbled into a christian science reading room mistakenly one day thinking that I was in a public library as I began to pick up one book after another I knew I was in the wrong place as I prepared to leave a gentleman asked me did you find what you were looking for I said no I thought I was in a public library I didn't know that I was in a Christian science reading room and I I don't believe the things in those books there and I believe that the Holy Ghost is the comforter that Jesus said the Father would send, And he said, oh, but Jesus said the comforter would be the spirit of truth, and Mary Baker Eddy is the spirit of truth. I said, oh, no. John chapter 14, verse 26 says, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. He's certainly not a woman. He's certainly not just a mortal man. He is God. The Holy Ghost is a comforter whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you, not she shall teach you, but he shall teach you all things. Then in John chapter 15, verse 26, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. See, he comes from the Father. He comes from the same place that Jesus descended from when he came down to the earth. And he is sent on the same type of mission, of course, the Holy Ghost never came to die for us. He came to be a part of our redemption, to appropriate what Jesus paid for at Calvary. Whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Will you open your Bible to John chapter 16 and let us look at verses 7 through 15? I'm so thankful for the numbers of you who bring the Bible to church. If you do not have your Bible, there's one in the psalm book rack there. And I hope you'll look here to see that we are reading from the Word of God. John chapter 16, beginning with verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, it is necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, beloved, the comforter here is someone other than Jesus. There are those who teach, there's a Pentecostal denomination who teach that the comforter is the same person as Jesus because he's called the Spirit of truth. But Jesus said, I will send him. He wasn't going to send himself Jesus clearly said in John 16, verse 17, It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more, of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said, I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Brother, sister, that is one of the most beautiful, one of the most potent, powerful passages of Scripture related to the mission, the purpose of the Holy Ghost coming to earth and what his mission would be and how he will operate, what he will seek to accomplish. He has come into this world to exalt Christ. He doesn't exalt himself, he exalts Christ. He has come into this world to remind us of things that Jesus has said unto us and to reveal to us things that are yet to come and everything in conjunction with what Christ has said. Is it important that we know what Jesus wants us to know? Well, certainly it is. How can we know if we do not permit the greatest of all teachers to help us in our limited ability to understand and comprehend. I don't ever want us to get so spirit conscious that we take our eyes off the Lamb of God. We are not supposed just merely always to think about the Spirit and talk about the Spirit and magnify Him above Christ. He has come to not speak of Himself, but to magnify Christ and to remind us of what Christ has done, what He has said, and what He is presently saying. For He will not speak of Himself. He will not originate thoughts and ideas and passages on His own. But He will take things of Christ and reveal them to us. Both those things that are stated in the Bible and those things that God wants communicated to us on a personal level that deals with our individual lives or deals with us as a church. That's what the Holy Ghost is doing today. As a person who is divine, you and I must respect Him and reverence Him. Since the Holy Ghost is divine, our duty, our responsibility is to respect Him. You know, there is one sin that will never be forgiven. That's the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. The unpardonable sin is a sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. So it's a very serious thing. You see, God has no other plan of salvation. The only plan of salvation that will ever be revealed is that that the Spirit is revealing today. If we take what He is revealing... And put it in the gutter if we berate it and lower it down among the beast then there is no other salvation offered to man there is nothing else for God to do for us we not only send away our day of grace but we attribute the works of the Holy Ghost to the devil and I believe that the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost in particular is not only rejecting the only plan of salvation but it is taking that plan and attributing it to that of the devil and taking the works of the Spirit and saying they're of the devil rather than of God. It's a serious thing. I don't believe many people have consciously, deliberately done that, but there are some people who have, and woe be unto them. So we must respect the Spirit. We must reverence Him. We must acknowledge that He is divine. Secondly, you and I can talk to Him since He is divine. Since He is a person and since He is a deity, Brother, sister, he is approachable. He is here to talk to us, and we can talk to him. Thirdly, we must remember that it is possible to grieve him or quench him. I will not elaborate. That is a teaching that needs some thought and uh, time to discuss on its own. Here's a statement that is vital. I never heard this when I was a child, I didn't know this. I want you to know it because it's in the Bible. All Christians have the Holy Ghost. Every Christian has the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you've never been saved. Now, I didn't say that you have to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I didn't say you had to speak in tongues to get saved. There is no salvation apart from the work of the Holy Ghost. He regenerates us. He's the one that helps us get born again. If we're not born of the Spirit, we're not saved. So when the Spirit comes to regenerate us, to regenerate us, He stays with us. He doesn't just come give us a little buzz and then take off and wait till we invite Him back for the Pentecostal baptism. No, no, He stays with us. Every Christian has the Holy Ghost in them. There are some who teach that you don't have the Holy Ghost in you until you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, I differ with them on that. I respect their opinion, but I differ with them. I believe that every child of God has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. You see, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a unique experience that will happen to you. It doesn't alter your salvation. It doesn't complete your salvation. It is a part of God's plan for you to give you power and help you to be a better person, but it doesn't save you, and not having it will not make you be lost. But when you get saved, the Holy Spirit is with you and He's in you. And so you just recognize that and thank God for that. It's beautiful to know that He resides inside of you. And when you become aware of that, it makes you careful how you live. It makes you careful what you drink, what you do, what you say. Because you don't want to offend that divine person who dwells inside of you. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, I I wouldn't want to put anything in the temple of God that would defile uh, the temple of God and make an atmosphere that, uh, that He would be... Uh, uncomfortable with and so our bodies should be respected as a sacred holy temple of God and it should never be connected in any way with immorality and with that type of thing because the body is not to be defiled when it's the temple of God. You know people think oh it's an awful thing to think about the Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple and call himself God and to think about Epiphanes offering a sow on the altar well what about people who, who drink booze and claim to have the Holy Ghost in them What about people who curse, commit adultery, and fornication with the temple of God? It's the same thing as the abomination of desolation. Not the same thing, I'll take that back. It's not the same thing, but as far as you're concerned, you're desecrating the temple of God. You're setting something else up in God's temple, offering something that's as as poor a substitute as a sow would be on Epiphany's part, And God doesn't want the temple of God to be compromised. So every Christian has the Holy Ghost in them. But there's a beautiful experience for you called the baptism of the Holy Ghost that you have not received just because you're a Christian. I mean, the fact that you got saved didn't automatically give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It gave you the Holy Spirit, yes. But beloved, you can receive the Holy Ghost again in an an experience that will complement what you already have from Him. Praise God. And it is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul said, have you received the Holy Ghost? Who was he talking to? He was talking to Christians. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He acknowledged certainly the Spirit of God had to be in them or they wouldn't be saved. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And you can't even come to the Father except the Spirit draw you. So when he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? This is a question I want to ask you this morning. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you got saved? You you did receive the Holy Ghost at salvation, but have you received him since you got salvation? Have you had the baptism in the Holy Ghost? It implies and recognizes the fact that they had salvation. But whatever their condition, it was obvious they needed something additional. They needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The believers in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 were already saved. Every one of them in that upper room were Christians. Even the mother of Jesus was up there. Wasn't she saved? You think Jesus was born to a sinner? You believe Mary was a sinner. Some people teach that nobody was saved until the day of Pentecost. They got saved in Acts chapter 2. And uh, I won't name the organization that teaches that, but they believe they're the only people going to heaven. That tells you a lot. Uh, Anyway, Mary was saved, or she could never have given birth to the Son of God. Not only was Mary in that upper room, but all the disciples were there, with the exception of Judas, Matthias, who had taken his place, was there, he was nominated and took his place while he was in that upper room. There were 120 great people in that upper room. They were Christians, they were saved, but they had not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came upon them because they'd cast out devils, they'd healed the sick, they'd preached the gospel. They couldn't do that without the help of the Holy Ghost. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost to cast out devils. You think Peter could cast them out without the Holy Ghost? Why, certainly not. If Jesus needed the Holy Ghost to cast out devils, Peter did too. So they had the Holy Ghost before they got in the upper room, but they had a measure of this beautiful gift of the Spirit in their life. But on the day of Pentecost, they received a baptism in the Holy Ghost, which is quite a different experience. So I don't question your salvation. If you tell me you're saved, I accept that. I believe that you can receive Jesus and be born again and and know that your name is recorded on the Lamb's book of life without speaking in tongues and without having received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But you still need the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And Jesus wants you to have this experience. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Wait for the promise of the Father. And he said, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And that's exactly what did happen to them on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. What did Jesus tell them to tarry for? What were they commanded to wait for? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. So when you read in Acts chapter 2, when they were all filled, it's a term synonymous with being baptized in this instance. I believe you can be refilled with the holy ghost without being rebaptized but in this case acts chapter 2 verse 4 is synonymous with the term that jesus used when he said tarry till you be endued with power from on high and then he said in verse 5 ye shall be baptized with the holy ghost not many days hence now jesus believed in immersion as water baptism when he was baptized, he went down into the water and came up out of the water. They didn't just sprinkle a little bit on him. He was totally immersed in water. We believe that's the proper mode of baptism, and it's what the word literally means in the Greek. And here we are today, people sprinkling. I don't understand that. If you've been sprinkled, you ought to get dunked. Amen. Many people, though, when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, have been sprinkled, they haven't really been baptized. They've been anointed. They have been blessed. We sing it. We're blessed, we're blessed, we're blessed. And I don't question that. Thank God we're blessed. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit blesses us. And we feel His quickening. We feel His anointing. Feel the unction upon us as children of God. But have you been baptized? Have you received the Holy Ghost? Have you accepted His ministry in your life? Have you taken the barriers down? Have you come to him, as it were, with an empty vessel and said, fill me up, fill my cup, Lord. Do you know that, that beautiful song was written by a Methodist minister who pastored the Main Street Methodist Church here a number of years ago. I met him, talked with him. He wrote the words to that beautiful song, fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord, come and fill it up again. That's exactly what we need the Lord to do in our lives as Christians. Have the Holy Spirit just indwell us until there is an overflowing experience. And this is what Jesus means when he says, ye shall be baptized. And this is exactly what the term in Acts chapter 2 implies when it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. When you fill something, you know the capacity is reached. You fill something up. Now, if you get something half full, it's not capacity. If you sprinkle it, it's not capacity. But if you fill it up, brother, it's all it can hold. If you baptize it, it's immersed. It's covered up. And I think this is exactly what Jesus wanted to imply. It's the term He selected. It's the term that He chose to use because He wants us to be filled up, brimming full, and running over, and totally immersed in the Spirit, properly baptized until we are drenched, until we are soaked, until there is enough of the spirit in our life for it to make a difference in the way we live and the way we work and the way we talk and the way we act everything about us will be different because of the power of the holy ghost i remember the night that i received the baptism of the holy ghost now when i got saved i remember walking home from church and it seemed like the whole world changed the stars were glittering in the sky and the heavens were beautiful it was about 9 30 10 o'clock at night i suppose and And I walked about a mile to my home. Oh, how different the world was. The world wasn't any different. I was. (laughs) Amen. I, I was different. But all the night that I got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, praise God, there was another difference. You know, the Holy Ghost opens our eyes. He illuminates our pathway. He teaches, He guides, He reproves, He corrects. He does these things that Jesus told us He would be doing in our life. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He does correct us, and I could feel his correction. My life changed. I became a better Christian when I got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. A group of ministers asked me one time, said, Cecil, do you believe that you're better than we are because you speak in tongues? I said, no, I don't believe that. I believe that I'm better than I was before I did. (laughs) That was all the answer I felt they needed, because I was saying to them, you'll be better when you do than you are. I believe that if the Holy Ghost doesn't change you if the baptism of the Holy Ghost does not alter your lifestyle, then what good is it? If it doesn't make a better person out of you Then what need do you to tarry for that experience and want God to baptize you with the Holy Ghost? Now, I, I feel that in order to complete this message the way I'd intended to that I should save part of it for tonight I wanted to talk to you about how to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want to talk about tarrying, about waiting, about asking, about receiving. But here's a command that Jesus gave. Wait for the promise of the Father. One reason why more people don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost is they're too busy. They are too busy for God to stop them long enough to get their attention that they need the baptism. They are acting as if they can do it without the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they take off on their own and they're really really endeavoring to accomplish the Lord's work without the power of the Holy Ghost. Now I respect what God has given us in the way of our intellect and our education, our physical abilities, our mental abilities. You know, they're gifts of God. No question about that. If I accomplish something with my strength, I did not do it by myself. God helped me to do it. But if I, by the power of the Holy Ghost, will use that same strength, I can do a lot more with the Holy Ghost helping me and making more of that strength than I can on my own. And so everything that people are doing without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, let's don't attribute it to the devil. I don't want to blaspheme the Holy Ghost by saying it's of the devil. And I don't think it's right for us to point a finger at non-Pentecostals and say that that they're of the devil and they're not living where they ought to be and all this. I just believe that we ought to appreciate the fact they're doing what they are doing by God's help. Whatever God enables them to do for the Lord, it's with God's blessings on their life, and the Holy Ghost helps them. There is an anointing. There is an enablement. There is wisdom and power and faith that people have before they get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But then after you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're introduced to gifts that you did not know how to tap into before that time. And so my answer is this. I'm a better person after having received the baptism of the Holy Ghost than I was before I received it. And it enables me to live a better life by being able to pray in tongues than I could live before I knew how to pray in tongues. I'm going to talk tonight about praying in tongues. Why do we need to speak in tongues? Well, it it's very scriptural and very needed it's not just the icing on the cake it's not just a luxury item but it's a very needed thing or christ wouldn't have given it to us and made so much of it that where he said wait for the promise of the father tarry in Jer- jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high and tonight we'll talk about the purpose of the tongues part of the baptism and the, that's not the only part too hallelujah the tongues part of the baptism is a beautiful part, but it isn't the only part. Some people don't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Ghost other than it helps people talk in tongues. They haven't even begun to tap the resources that are available. Some of you have had the baptism for many years. Many of you have not prayed in tongues for a long time. Many of you have not had that anointing just really cover you up and, and be upon you. Hey, listen, you know the difference. You know when you're out here on your own. Sometimes we get real big. We've learned the ropes. We know how to manipulate. We know how to, how to really go around in, in all the different uh, places of, of duties and responsibility. And we can run this business without the Holy Ghost. We don't need the Holy Ghost to play the piano. We don't need the Holy Ghost to teach a class. We don't need the Holy Ghost to do this, that, and the other. And so we've learned to operate on mechanics and by committees and by organization. One of these days, there's going to be some Philistines breaking on us, bent to pry our eyes out of our head. And if we have compromised with the world and allowed the Delilah spirit to rob us of the source of anointing on our life, we'll find ourselves grinding and groveling as the world looks on with disgust at a people who claim to have the power of the Spirit and are simply operating in the flesh. There's a difference. Now, I'm Pentecostal by choice. God didn't force this on me. My parents did not force it on me. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues and all nine gifts of the Spirit and the nine fruit of the Spirit and the ministers that complement this wonderful experience. But I know, friends, that it's more than a doctrine. It's an experience. It's something that has got to be real and up-to-date, not something we refer to in our library, not something that we read about back at the Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles. There's something that is happening today in our life. Glory to God.